Again, companies are knowing who they are and what their purpose is. It wasn't that life ended, it just profoundly changed. In the case of broad public social media, I think we do see results that are really disturbing. Welcome back to a special bonus episode of SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. I don't think I'm going to shock anyone when I say the pandemic turned the world on its head. From spending hours a day on video calls to curbside shopping for just about anything, we're talking about a seismic shift in the way we work, communicate, and connect with each other. And while sometimes change is uncomfortable, these groundbreaking developments have proven to be, well, pretty amazing. Which is exactly what we're talking about on today's bonus episode of Innovation Heroes. We've gone through the last four seasons to collect the best conversations we've had about the user experience and the heroes helping to innovate it. From AI-powered hotels to augmented reality in the workplace, the way we interact with technology has changed for good. How businesses are taking advantage of these changes, well, that remains an open question. If you saw the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, or if you had an encyclopedic knowledge about the origins of virtual reality, you'll recognize the first guest on today's episode. Jaron Lanier is a musician, computer scientist, and renowned technology philosopher. Not only is he one of the founding fathers of virtual reality, he's also the inventor of the Nintendo Power Glove, and more recently, Microsoft's Teams Together mode. He joined original host Peter Bean back in December of 2020 to discuss how technology makers like Microsoft were evolving to make hybrid working more productive, but also more human. Yeah, the design is is what scares me. Like you mentioned, emphasizing those failures within the design. I think a lot of people who are starting to pay attention to these concepts that you've been talking about for a long time that, that maybe were blind to them before, as they learn these things, they're going to go back to work and they're going to notice these things, these notifications, these taggings, these ellipses that that exist in, in enterprise technology and the existence or the experience rather being so similar. I'm thinking that people are going to be worried about that. And, and I'm just wondering if they need to be or not. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I think the right way to answer... Uh, a question about whether you should be alarmed about something is to look at the results and to try to be empirical about it. And so in the case of broad public social media, I think we do see results that are really disturbing. We do see a rise of paranoia and xenophobia, conspiracy theories, and so on, resistance to common sense, public health measures, I don't know, just all kinds of things. So the the time to be worried about whether that's happening is in, in enterprises is when we see evidence it's happening. I'll tell you, in enterprise software, I probably worry more about some other things. I worry a little bit about inappropriate uses of AI. I just feel like it's impossible for people to break that bind that you're talking about and how they view AI. I think the majority of us view it in that way, that negative way. And I don't know how we get around that. How do you think we start changing people's minds about it? 
I think with counter examples, with software systems that celebrate people and recognize that computers are a way of bringing people together, I'll give you an example of something that Microsoft is uh, running right now that I think does that particularly well, which is GitHub. So GitHub is an online service where people collaborate to create new software. And it's an interesting thing to look at because... Unlike most online gathering places, it hasn't been subsumed by negativity and partisanship and paranoia and nonsense. It's yet another existence proof that the online world doesn't have to be terrible. It can be beautiful. One of the things that intrigues me is the first year or two of any new online social media or hub before it gets big, before it starts to become commercial, there's always this little honeymoon period. And during that period, a lot of these things are actually kind of charming and positive and admirable. An example is the first year of Twitter was kind of charming. Even the first year of YouTube was kind of charming. The first years of uh, TikTok have been, I think, charming and, and, and pretty good. The negativity comes in once they become large enough to become tempting targets for people who are cruel and want to manipulate others. My favorite question to talk about in the virtual meetings industry, and just, you know, that's what I've done my whole life, video conferencing, virtual meetings. It's been my lifelong job, career, enjoyment, nerd, fantasy. It's what I do. And what I talk about all the time with people in the industry is, you know, how do we make virtual meetings more human, more real, more, in, in ways that no, none of us have considered yet? Like I ask this question, I get answers about features, and that's not what I'm looking for, right? In ways that no one's considered yet. And I feel like if you build on that, you're going to give me the answer to that question. <laughs> well, you know, I've been concerned with this for a long time. So the usual way I've approached it is not to say that some kind of virtual connection over a computer medium with virtual reality or some other design. I don't think that that replaces physical connection. In fact, what I've always said about virtual reality is that the right way to think about it is that it's inherently inferior in some ways, and it gives you a sort of a palate cleansing. Like in the old days, I always used to say that the very most magical moment in, in virtual reality is after you take the goggles off. And we used to sneak like a geode or a flower or something in front of people. And then they take off the goggles and they'd be able to see that thing kind of with fresh eyes because you're used to virtual reality. But the same thing is even more true of other people. If you've been interacting with avatars and you look at a real person, it's pretty amazing, actually. You start to perceive people for just a moment as if you'd just been born into this world. I mean, it doesn't last long. It's just this precious little moment of palate cleansing where you can kind of see the world afresh. All right. Having said that, the pandemic period has made things different where we've really had no choice but to do a lot more connection through computer networks. And so in that case, I kind of shifted and I was like, well, how can we make this less miserable? Like, what can we do to make it better? And that's where Together Mode came from. So uh, Together Mode is just a, a reshuffling of how you do video conferences uh, that's informed by the science side of virtual reality. It's, it doesn't use the technology of virtual reality, obviously. It just uses the same old uh, devices that are in any computer, the camera and the microphone and the screen. But it redoes it to just give people a bit more access to the nonverbal cues between each other to allow them to have richer interpersonal connections. And it does test out to make it better. Timing, as they say, is everything. 
In early 2019, Intel helped launch the Sinclair, an upscale establishment in Fort Worth, Texas, that builds itself as the world's first fully automated hotel. Only a few short months later, the world was tossed into lockdowns, resulting in empty hotel rooms and panic across the tourism industry. It was about that time we had a chance to sit down with Intel to talk about its involvement with this futuristic hotel, and more importantly, how automation, AI, and the internet of things can help make the hospitality industry safer, smarter, and more efficient. Host Peter Bean met with returning guest Stacy Shulman, Intel's Vice President of Internet of Things. The episode aired on October 29th, 2020. So look, I want to start by congratulating you for all the great work that Intel has done with the Sinclair. For those of you that haven't seen it, don't know a Sinclair, walk us through the experience. What makes it special is the owner of the hotel is just a special individual. Baruch is probably one of my favorite people that I've met in the industry. He doesn't understand, no, you can't do that. It's not in his vocabulary. And so that, to me, is one of the things that's special about the hotel. Every single thing has an IP address, the light bulbs, everything. And so with that, a lot of things can happen in the hotel. I mean, just simple things of having the phone charger built into the nightstands and, and things like having a touch panel on the wall to control all the lights you know, a TV built into the the mirror on the wall in the bathroom, all of those um, with touch screens and all of those where you can pick from kind of preset moods um, in the room itself. Everything else, when you walk in, you, you sit at the bar and there's charging pods at the bar where you just set your phone down and setting it down on the bar charges your phone. They found that by doing that on the business side, they could actually keep people at the bar longer. And then things like the safety precautions in the hotel, they know when somebody's in the room, when it's occupied, and um, for fire, if anything were to happen, they know exactly what rooms to evacuate and who's where. So, um, I mean, they don't know that, you know, Joe Smith is in this room, but they definitely know a room is occupied. Once they have that information, can create an experience where, You know, room service can be better optimized. The cleaning services better optimized. So all of this doesn't do the Sinclair justice, but those are some of the things that make it a little more magical. You're probably one of the few people in the world at the center of this really interesting innovation moment. What are you personally most excited about? And what do you see as the biggest, most inspiring opportunities in hospitality or any of the other areas um, that you're working with? Yeah, so for the last, I'd say, year, I'm maybe two years now, I've been talking a lot about the industry polarize a little bit around either you're getting to become convenience, let me take all the friction out of the process, or you're coming becoming really experiential, a destination, place that people want to go and just relax. And so what I'm seeing now is people really starting to have the conversation of who do I want to be? That to me is exciting, is that we're going to have... I would say places that feel right for their purpose. So when I go on vacation, I want to be in an experience. And when I'm traveling for business and I'm in the hotel for a night and leaving, I don't really need an experience. I just need all the friction to be gone. And so where I see the industry going that I really like is that, 
again, companies are knowing who they are and what their purpose is and what mode they should be in and getting more granular around that. And so I think what we're going to have is we're going to have experiences that, you know, when we want that fast, convenient, we're going to have it better. And then when we want experiential, it'll be more thoughtful around how those experiences are delivered. In our new hybrid world, businesses are being forced to combine digital and physical experiences. If they can't, they're not just letting down customers, they're failing to stay ahead of the curve and remain competitive. Fortunately, this is one challenge our next guest doesn't have to worry about. Michael Benville is the Chief Creative Officer at Area 15, a unique and immersive entertainment complex located just off the Las Vegas Strip. From interactive experiences to live performances, this dynamic venue offers visitors a one-of-a-kind adventure. I sat down with Michael back in February 2022. Together, we discussed a major paradigm shift unfolding in the guest experience space. What's the mission that drives Area 15 and what was the inspiration behind you wanting to create this sort of uh, experiential tech space? The mission that drives Area 15 now uh, is as I said before, I think it is it is genuinely about giving the uh, the guest the, the opportunity to transform from a from a visitor and a spectator into a participant. How we achieve that, I think, is that uh, has a great deal to do with technology. It also has a great deal to do with the ancient archetypes of just storytelling, <laughs> the things that sort of pull you in. And and I always think technology. Uh, wants to go hand in hand with what we know about uh, the past because buried in our past are the ways that we respond to things and and wh why we want and why we need and how we use tools and how we, how they resonate with us and how they move us. So so when we're mindful of those two things, when we can you know take the the ancient lore, <laughs> if you will, uh, and combine it with the new technology or the you know the archetypes of the past with the technology of the present. That, I think, gives us something that's really vibrant um, and meaningful for this day and age. The mission of Area 15 at the beginning was to get people to come. We needed them to take a leap of faith, cross the highway into something they didn't know or understand, and we needed to achieve it in a really strategic way. Uh, and so at the beginning, we, you know, Area 15 does not exist was our motto. And we built this monolithic black, you know, bunker on the side of the highway uh, with this, call it, you know, aircraft carrier writing almost on the side of it. And that was all by design and by choice. I sort of think of Kubrick and his monolith in, in 2001 and how, in my mind, he's describing the outside of a universe there. How would you describe the outside of the universe? You go into it, it's infinite, but on the outside, what does it look like? And so that's what Area 15, the building, architecturally, why, why, uh, why I wanted to make it that way. And, um, and, and the reason is that it's a counterpoint to what is the glitz and blitz of, of the strip. And so those two things, I think, can riff off of each other. Um, it can be this, this, this tent that houses and leverages the experience economy, but it also, it also allows for, uh, for tech, I think, to be experienced in a way where the user and the visitor, is uh, their heart is more open to the exploration of tech. Uh, and these are, in some cases, the first time that a person will have ever achieved or experienced a VR headset. 
In terms of this uh, experiential tech, so, you know, when movies came out, they said, well, that's going to be the end of stage shows, right? And then when the VCR came out, said, well, that's going to be the end of movies, right? And then VR came out and, and the home ex- the home entertainment experience is clearly nothing like you and I experienced as a kid. But in the post-COVID age, like how important is it that this is something that you have to go someplace and, and, and experience, you know, in terms of like Area 15? Do you, how much of a factor do you think that that plays in that it's it's not something that that's attainable um, just through you know the ever improving technology that that's available to us you know in the home. Well, um, if you look at the portfolio of interests and creations uh, that I'm working on, um, I think that the answer is as I believe completely in all of it. Um, I don't think one effectively works without the other. Which isn't to say that humanity couldn't find some way to survive in the Matrix and that we might be able to upload ourselves into it, but would our lives actually be better? You know, um, and, uh, you know, maybe the generations to come will, uh, will, will think very differently about it. But, but for me, um, my hedge is that it's the, that it's the two combined with a really artful portal in between that is so important. That I, I agree completely with you that no new technology um, wipes out the old technology. It just adds another tool to the kit, right? And then it becomes what the use case is. How, how do I want to engage with this? Um, do I need it? I mean, I I use my phone all day long. I've got Oculus goggles. I use I, I text. I FaceTime. I do, you know, it, it, all these different things are happening. But I still read a book, um, and I like a magazine by the pool because it doesn't get wet, and I can actually read it in the sun. Um, you know, they're all elegant. They're all elegant solutions for for different ways of getting through life. We should be generous and bountiful enough, I think, to be able to live with the full spectrum of them and to use them as as is our as is our pleasure, right, <laughs> or as as our need. You know, we're right on the cusp of do I actually really need or want this? Well, in the last two years, for a lot of people, not for everybody, but for those who are solvent enough or had access enough to computers and things, it wasn't that life ended. It just profoundly changed. Do I still want human interaction? Absolutely. Does it bug me sometimes to get on a plane and go all the way across the country for a two-hour meeting that I could have done pretty effectively in a in, in a meeting space? Yeah, 100%. Um and, and I think that that's why projects like I'm working on right now with, um, with Adam Spatial Web and all these things are these, these platform tools that allow you to build your own metaverse in a platform that's vertically integrated with all of the digital objects and NFTs and things that you might want or need, and that it's human-centric. It's actually, you know, it's a plugin. We could create an avatar, of course. We can have a, be a giant bunny rabbit or a, or, a, or a bat. But we're starting off with video discs that move around complex environments because that actually allows me to make eye contact with a human being. And the metaverse is not a game. Um, the metaverse is another place to live. So we will play games in it, but it's it's a great deal more than that. And I think it it then needs to have, a, a, I don't know, a social code or a heart or a center that allows us to navigate it as human beings um, with a capital H. The, the arrival to Area 15, which has a sort of a force perspective, and you're in the bright light, and then you pass through this, this, this tunnel, through this huge, you know, A, which is on the outside of the bunker, and your, your eyes are adjusting to the light, and the doors open, and then boom, right in front of you is this 
unbelievable projection map skull. You know, five projectors make it happen. It's 16, 17 feet tall. And to a person, everybody stops and says, wow. What does putting on a Broadway musical have to do with delivering an exceptional retail experience? If you ask our next featured guest, I'm sure he'd say a lot. Grant Barth is the founder of Then What, a transformative brand lab that develops unique strategies for brands to engage customers. Back in November of 2022, I met with Grant to discuss his groundbreaking theater methodology, a Broadway-inspired model for retailers to elevate in-store experiences. We explored why these heightened in-person experiences will be the key to helping retailers survive and thrive in the years ahead. Every consumer and brand fan wants to be treated special and wants to have something be new and exciting that you're bringing to life, whatever that might be. But the last thing a brand wants to do is kind of be, just kind of call, phone it in and be mediocre. What you want to be is memorable. And those emotional memories and experiences, the way that you do that. We spoke to Stacey Shulman from Intel recently, and she was the one that told us about the amazing creative approach that you helped develop called the theater methodology, which I know you also incorporate into your work at Then What. How did theater methodology come about and what are some of the basic concepts? Yeah, I think one of the things I really love about what I do is to keep really amazing leaders in business and technology and innovators, you know, really close. And Stacy's one of those from Intel. And she was really, she's also like the catalyst of a lot of ideas. She helps kind of move those forward. And when we, back in 2019, she brought together like a group of people to kind of incubate those innovation questions and ideas and just blue sky thinking around what is the future experience from brands, from technology, and through immersive. And we had some projects that were moving forward into 2020. And of course, we know what happened. And she really encouraged us to go and continue that work digitally and online. We did a lot of interviews with people from theater and people in technology, people from brands, people from music and entertainment. And what were the common themes? And to create a process that was, you know, that we could become a methodology. If a brand or anyone wanted to create immersive experience, like how would you actually start to approach that? And so through our research and what we created, it came down to really three key things. One was that creativity rules, and this is really the true value of an experience. The second was that strategy actually has the lowest cost and the highest ROI to any project. And oftentimes we found that business leaders kind of jump that process because they want to either move fast or they have something that's new and exciting they want to try out. They forget that actually putting the strategy, writing the script of the story you're trying to tell, who you're trying to tell to is like really, really important, can actually save you money in the long run. And then the third is that technology amplifies the creativity, the story, and the strategy. How important is technology in creating an immersive and theatrical brand experience? Yeah, the bar is raised in in what we see. And I think there's, again, it's the creative intention that you start out with. You know, I always say that sometimes the most emotional experience can be just like eight candles in a room and an amazing sound system can be just the simplicity could be really amazing. But maybe the sound is the technology that ignites that sense, right? And that memory. But 
And other times, I think there's like so many great immersive experiences that really use technology to their fullest. It could be through um, projection mapping in a new way. It can be through, again, different lighting and how things are presented. And it's just how you use that, how you use the technology to bring that creative to life. What's the most important thing? But I see we have a lot of technology first companies that are coming in and saying, like, we actually want to move in the physical world. How do we show both? How do we bring that pure tech experience? How do you bring it to life in the real world where the two seem very cohesive and complementary? And so, you know, that's very interesting to us because we love making the physical and how that comes to life in a variety of ways. So having somebody that's purely digital or purely tech coming together again it's that that kind of a different approach to solving a problem or an or seeing a new opportunity is really what is interesting and i think that's exactly where the world is going thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of innovation heroes if you liked what you heard today Please make sure to share this episode with a friend or colleague and to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a few weeks with another great bonus episode. Until then, I'm your host, Ed McNamara, and you've been listening to Innovation Heroes, an SHI podcast.